0: Fact of the matter is, you are about to embark on a transcendent experience that can only be described as psychological nudity. This is stu Goss, and this is stupidity. Here we go, Jim. Tony.
2: Billy, I have two questions for you. Okay. One, how shocked were you on a scale of 1 to 10 that I agreed and said yes to the author of Wasteland uh, as a guest here on *Stupidity*?
1: I was very surprised, I would say, but also not surprised at the same time, if that makes sense. I was very surprised in the direction, the conversation that we're about to have, the topic, right? But I wasn't surprised in that, like, you'll go on these things where you will say yes to absolutely anyone that is pitched. And that's kind of like, when I saw it, cause you said yes to this when I was away. So I just got follow-up emails like, hey, can we schedule this Stugat said yes? And I was like, he did? And then I ask you and you're like, yeah, yeah, I really want to talk about this. I'm like, okay, like, let's do it. So, Billy, he did that while you were on paternity leave,
0: and he did it with me. And basically, he said yes to everything and then said, let Billy schedule
1: it. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. This is starting to make more sense now. I did did arrive back back to a number of emails from the people that help us with guest booking saying, we got yeses on blah, blah, blah from Stugatz. And I was like, okay. So then I scheduled all these things, and we scheduled like three months worth of episodes like in the span of like two weeks. <laughs> and it was like, I, there were just so many that part of me was like, it's, who's trying to pull one over on me? Because you guys have said yes, it seems like absolutely everything. Are the guest bookers trying to take advantage of the fact that I was away and just telling me that he said yes to everything? Did he just say yes to everything because he didn't want to say no and hurt anyone's feelings? Like, what happened here? By the way, this is a great interview. So let me not yes. like, let me not. It's a make fantastic it seem like interview. We're not interested <laughs> that we're like laughing at the interview. It is a good interview. It was just surprising. It was odd
2: for me to say yes to it. It's something Lebitor would say yes to. So, so what I'm wondering, Billy, and then from there, both of you, I'm asking you, how surprised were both of you, and how prepared I was for
1: this? Even interview? more surprised by that. <laughs> even more surprised by that because going into it i said Stugas, we have this interview today you know make sure like do you, do you know what you want to talk you had a list of questions you had that you wanted to know where garbage went you had questions about the ocean you had more questions than you had time to ask and you were very concerned about the environment yeah. what we're doing with trash where it's ending up and i was like who is this person
0: I have a theory I want to float by, and I, I tell me if I'm close here. Did you read the title of Wasteland wrong and think it was Wasted Land, and it was about something mm. else, and then all of a sudden realize what it's about and go, "Oh shit, I better do some, I better do some prep," and then you over, you, you know, you overcorrected. Did I thought the like book was happen? about something else. Wasted Land, maybe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yep it's exactly what happened (laughs) and then I I realized shit I better
0: do some prep for this guy because I have no idea what's going on with garbage and what's going on is awful you thought you were going to be talking dead shows and instead you're talking about you know earth death
1: yep Do you think we're the dumbest people that he's ever spoken to?
2: (laughs) He would be Oliver Franklin uh, Franklin Wallace, the author of *Wasteland*, who is very, very smart, a very good journalist (laughs) and a big time author. Yes, I do think I'm the dumbest person he's ever spoken to. Yes.
1: Well, so I think he was very nice. He was very knowledgeable when he was talking. When he was talking to us, it kind of reminded me of, like, um, career day at school, you know what I mean? Where, like, you just dumb it down for children, and you explain, like, what you do at a very basic level. And you're like, here's, you know, I'm a senator, this is what I do, I go and I pass laws, and it's like like a very basic thing, and it's like, let me make sure these dumb dums understand just basic information and the book that I'm trying to sell. And then hopefully their audience will ha- be smarter than them. Yeah. Uh, yes. But Mikey, to your point, uh, and we'll
2: talk to Oliver Franklin Wallace, the author of Wasteland in a minute. I thought it was a book about getting
0: wasted. Mm. <laughs> shouldn't he have a number at the end of his name? Like, shouldn't he be like the, the third, third or the fourth? Yes. Only like, the shouldn't third. He... Yes. Yeah. Like, I feel like just with a name like that, you got to have a number at the end.
2: Hmm. Yep. Uh, Oliver Franklin Wallace, the author of Wasteland. I've never been, I was more prepared for this than I was for the interview I just did with Ian Rappaport on another show. (laughs) What? Stupidity. Stugatz here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot has changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste you want and less of the stuff you don't. What I love to do, what me and my friends do, when we're sitting around, we like to enjoy it with ice-cold Miller Lights. Miller Light keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. oliver franklin wallace is an author he's a very good author he's an accomplished author and he has written a book called wasteland it's
3: fascinating
2: it is a fascinating topic and i am wondering of all the things oliver you
3: could have written about why'd you choose this yeah i know i tell, told my friends uh, when i started out with this program they're like oh i'm writing a book and they got so excited they're like "What is it about i'm like oh, it's about trash and you just get these kind of like weird looks from people and I would, you know, I spent a lot of time going around the world uh, reporting and I'd be like going to India and uh, Ghana and all these kind of interesting places. And people thought it was very glamorous. You know, you're going to India and they're like, oh, what are you going to do in India? Are you going to go see the Taj Mahal? And I'm like, no, I'm going to one of the world's largest landfills. Uh, but to me, that's great. You know, this it's like, an ex- it's, it's an interesting world. It's not always the most glamorous place. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting place to be. And it's like a side of the, the world that you don't really think about until you start thinking about what you know the, the garbage cans are like this magic trick you put things inside it and then it just, they just like magically disappear but the thing that i was kind of fascinated by is this idea that the, the you know the disposal chain is quite often as long and as complicated as the supply chain when we talk about how, where things come from or whether they're fair trade or they're organic or what, what have you but no one really thinks about where they go and quite often it, it's just as long and fascinating a journey What's the most uh, jaw dropping thing you discovered
2: about the global waste industry as you as you put this book together? Because it oh, is my... fascinating, man.
3: I was mortified some of the shit that you wrote. <laughs> can I can I swear on this podcast? Is that yes. okay? Yes. I I, I think the, the sheer amount of bullshit in this industry and in and this world kind of staggered me. Like you look back the decades and you see, well, okay, well, Coca-Cola was making these recycling pledges in the mid nineties and like, they just didn't do it. And nobody followed up to check. And then they were doing it like two- 1995, 2005, 2007, 2010. And every time you have these big companies being like, no, 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 we're going to clean up our acts now. And they never, they never do. They never, like, they never have done. Um, So, so seeing some of that and like the, we could talk about it later, but like the, the, the fact that re- recycling, as we know it, was kind of invented as like a, a, like greenwashing. You know, it's like an, a sustainability play by big corporates uh, to to get away with, like, essentially dumping a lot of their products on us without being legislated against. So there's kind of this fascinating history. But if you want to talk about the number, like the sheer numbers, the scale is kind of wild. One of my favorite ones is that uh, we throw away about a, a third of all food grown worldwide, uh, which mean, which is like a staggering figure when you've got 820 million starving people in the world. But... Um, when you actually think about the farmland wasted, it means like twenty percent of. I think it's the figure is twenty eight percent of all farmland is is used to grow food that's never eaten, and if you counted up all those acres, all those hectares, it would cover the entire subcontinent of India. So you like think of the amount of farmland that we literally are just totally wasting, and it kind of explodes your brain a little bit. Uh, I think that you figure. just exploded Billy's brain and Mikey. They both had the same <laughs>
2: reaction. What happened to the both of you right there? It's crazy, right?
0: I mean, what happens to it all? Like, w- all this food is getting grown. Like, what happens to it?
3: Oh well, I mean, it, th- things it, things get wasted for so many reasons. You know, there's things like farm loss on farm is like a big a big thing that we don't talk about a lot. You know, for, for, some of this stuff happens okay. by natural disaster or, or things like that. But a big thing, and, and the thing that kind of really appalled me in the book is, you know retailers will tell you that most of the stuff we throw away in the case of food happens at home, right? You buy too much food, it sits, it rots away in the fridge, you get to the end of the month and things are a little bit funky and you end up throwing away three quarters of your bag of salad or whatever. And your bread, like old moldy loaves of bread and all this kind of stuff that gets thrown away. But then there's kind of these little pockets of, of things and you realize you know, how much restaurants and the the fast food industry and those kind of things, the, the waste on that scale is, is right. So for example, like you, you have these little little light bulb moments so for example i remember reading or noticing for the first time that if you go into a shop and buy a sandwich like i don't know if this is a big thing in the u.s if you like buy a pack like a sandwich in a packet you like they never make them with the crusts so like it was like where do, where do all the crusts go and then you add it all up and it's like something like four hundred thousand loaves of bread worth of crusts in the uk alone are thrown away every year just by the, like the packaged sandwich industry and you're like holy goodness you know, just 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 those kind of tiny things, and you realize the scale of the waste. And you want to talk about farmers. Farmers are obsessed with this stuff, right? Because we, I would go to, I don't, know, you know, I read the book. I went to farms and and saw the scale of like the industrial uh, amount of vegetables and stuff that goes to waste, and it's just left rotting in the fields. And one of the the couple of main reasons one is that big retailers have these crazy cosmetic standards like they won't sell an apple that has a blemish on it so everything has to be perfect and the same uniform size and shape and getting things to reach something you know if you want to sell your produce in whole foods it's got to be beautiful and anything that's not beautiful chances are it's going to go, you know it's getting dug back into the soil or it's going in the blender and um you know, when you the the second thing that you have is that you get these huge retailers, and they sign these contracts with farmers, which say, okay, we're gonna ha- we're gonna want a hundred thousand tons of okra or whatever uh, this season, and then suddenly the weather changes, or like there's, they they see some buying pattern change, and they'll just be like, oh, actually, we only ever wanted eight hundred thousand tons or whatever, and they'll, so they'll cut the order by twenty percent, and by then it's already in the ground, and it's too late for the farmers to really do anything. Like they're scrambling around trying to find a market for it. So a huge amount of of food waste happens because of like just the weirdly economics of, of like food growing and farmers. So farmers are are like living this stuff day to day. And if you went across the Midwest or anywhere in the UK, um, they would tell you that it's, that that it's kind of wilder than even, even than you think,
2: uh, you, you talked about Coke earlier, and I think you call it, uh, you call it greenwashing recycling. Uh, Can you explain to people in
3: layman's terms exactly what it is Coca-Cola was doing? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, so Coca Cola produces a very large number of. I can I, It's the, the the exact tonnage and the number of bottles is in the book, but there's about 480 billion, I think, plastic bottles sold worldwide every year. If you want to kind of try and visualize that, I str- I, I worked out how many times that would stretch you to the moon and back, but it's more than a couple of times. Um, but you know, Coca-Cola for a long time have pledged that okay, we're going to put some recycled plastic in our bottles to try and minimise the amount of virgin plastic and therefore fossil fuels we're mining from the ground. Um, every time they've made that pledge so far, they haven't made it. As far as I as far as I know, I'm not up to date with their most recent pledge, but it seems unlikely to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and that's the long, a long long, the latest like in a long long line of of corporate greenwashing with our waste that goes back to the 1950s. Um, because after the Second World War, we had the kind of consumer, great golden era consumer boom, and suddenly we had all these white goods and plastics, which basically didn't exist prior to that at any kind of scale, happened. You know, I talk about in the book that for like the idea of disposables, like disposable packaging, disposable cutlery, those kind of things – didn't really exist until basically the 1940s when you have the the arrival of the disposable diaper before that it meant like extra a nice bonus so you talk about people's disposable income they weren't really using it as like disposable forks weren't really a thing in the same way right so we have as as you know the global north all of these economies are like okay what do we do with all this stuff and there was a push to legislate to, pe- to basically make companies pay their way and in in you know paying money towards the waste disposal system to make sure that it was getting getting disposed of instead of ending up in like highway hedgerows and you know in the environment. and um a few of the packaging companies got together and they formed this action group called Keep America Beautiful. And one of the things that this action group did was it launched a very famous series of ads. Uh, there's a very famous ad with like a cry, called the Crying Indian ad. But it basically said that the problem was due, due to litterers. And they invented this term, the, lit, the litter bug. Who, and the litter bug was the person who was filling the environment with all this stuff and, and not the companies who were kind of pumping them out into the world, knowing that they were essentially, you know, never going to buy a great, And you had similar campaigns that, that was very successful. had similar campaigns all over the Western world, the global North. And we kind of still live with with that. Attitude to waste now, like it's a little bit like a lot of people don't know. For example, that the the carbon footprint was an idea popularized by the by the oil company British Petroleum, like that. So that's a we all talk about carbon footprint because of the oil industry wanted to basically blame it all on us. Uh, so it's a, a very similar thing happened with waste, and we're kind of still living with the repercussions. You know, anytime we have a big discussion around, okay, well, why is there all of this plastic in our oceans? It's kind of like, well, we need to do better jobs of like washing out our yogurt pots and not. Okay, well, maybe we need to find a way to make sure that you know waste is, waste collection is funded all around the global south, where about only like two billion people don't have any kind of formalized waste collection at all. So the idea of the garbage man is just alien in, in huge parts of the world, which is something that blew my mind, and I think blows a lot of people's minds when you think about it. And you want to know why the ocean's full of plastic? It's because two billion people don't have you know trash collection, so it, it ends up in the environment, Jeez. which is a huge environmental. You know, and 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 human challenge,
1: so littering's fine then, because it's really the companies that are to blame. That's what you're saying <laughs>
3: i i I don't think it's quite what I said uh, I mean it's, for real though I, But it's not our that, fault that's all right well i i I just think that like sometimes we are convinced that like the answer is to buy more stuff or like feel guilty about the things that you're the tiny things that you're doing in your life when the reality is like. If the procurement guy at Nike or the procure, you know, the, someone who's in packaging design at Coca-Cola makes one slightly different decision on a Thursday morning design meeting, they can kind of save more plastic than every single person, you know, recycling all of their plastic pots in the entire country, you know? So like the, the I'm not saying that you should litter. I'm just saying like the people who can really make a difference, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, you're not going to solve this problem in the grocery aisle. Well, um, so to not be grim then, like there's not,
1: a whole lot that we as average citizens can really do to solve this problem because it's bigger than us
3: well i think that i i, I don't think that that's true i, I don't mean um, it, like it to say like
1: we, why even bother trying you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, not, yeah. Sure. it's not it's then, not like a thing where it's like i can go out and i have to recycle every day and i will solve this problem on my own because it's, it's yeah bigger than that it's way bigger than that yeah
3: yeah, and and I do think that there's this 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 kind of challenge, which is people, you know, I talk to people about this, and they're like, okay, well, I can do, it. and I'm like, well, you can do a lot of stuff. You can, you know, first of all, you could buy less stuff that you don't need, which is which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But you know, you can recycle effectively, and you can reuse and repair things, and we can do you know do all of the things that would be kind of better for the environment. But I'm saying, like, individually, you're not going to solve the problem because of you know, if you just talk about the the rate of growth. In waste production in the global south, for example, 1.3 billion extra tons of waste being produced globally by 2050. I think is the World Bank projection. So um, that doesn't all mean that we should like see climate change and be like, oh, I'm not going to buy an electric car because I, you know, it's not going to solve a drop in the ocean. We all have a collective responsibility to do it for sure. I think that the thing that we need to sometimes be mindful of is solutions that like involve us buying new, like. Buying new stuff. Okay, just buy this expensive tote bag, buy this expensive water bottle or whatever, and and you'll feel better. And like not dealing with the systemic issues. A lot of people come to me and and they're like, oh, well, recycling's broken, so we just shouldn't bother. I'm like, no, no, no. Recycling's broken, so we should fix it. You know, if I told you that clothing is made in sweatshops, your response is, oh, well, well, I'm going to stop buying shoes. You're like, well, no, because you need shoes. You're going to find ethical ways to produce shoes and maybe pay those people a bit better. So I think that we need to kind of have this approach of okay let's iterate and fix problems rather than you know uh abandoning them ho- or wholesale and like let's just tone the rhetoric down a little bit see where the things are broken and the opportunities to fix it because there are opportunities to fix it and um i talk about some of them in the book and i'm sure we'll talk about some of them here uh the book is wasteland check it out it's pretty
2: fascinating man oliver franklin wallace is the author he's with us right now here on stupidity who's trying to fix it like who is like what is trying like what are people trying oh, to God. do i he's mean trying like- to do it
3: the crazy thing is that every like this it feels well, I started this book back in twenty nineteen, which feels like a long time ago to me. I've had like an extra kid and stuff since then. So it's like in in those pre-pandemic days. So it feels like a long time pre-pandemic feels a lifetime ago. How many kids do you have? Um, I've got two. Oh, way uh wait. just for- wait exactly. Exactly. And yes, they they st- <laughs> like my younger still has disposable nappies, so you couldn't hang me for it. Oh, um but like the <laughs> the um the, the crazy thing is like the rate seeing the rate of change is wild you know we're, you and i are talking here now the un is debating a plastics convention which when i started this book just seemed totally unthinkable and if you talk to activists in this space they had been like there's no way that that's ever going to happen you have like state legislatures in the us passing right to repair laws saying to you know big tractor companies and car companies okay are you on phone companies okay you've got to make things and let us repair them and standing up to the corporate interests who so are trying to sell you stuff and like that you're locked into and can can't be fixed anymore. Um, so to see the groundswell of of support for some of this stuff has been has been crazy and really encouraging. You know, like because because to me, we talk about climate change a lot, and people say, well, why would you fight? You know, aren't there bigger things that you want to worry about than than waste? And I'm like, well, food waste. The IPCC reckons that food waste is about eight percent of all global CO2 emissions, so all glo- global greenhouse gas emissions. So you can simultaneously feed hungry people and solve the climate change problem just by throwing less food away. That seems like a super easy win, right? This is the low-hanging fruit stuff. Solid waste is 5% of all global greenhouse gases. That's more than the entire shipping and aviation industry combined. So like when we talk about... The scale of these problems is gigantic. So this should be the; these are the easy things to fix, and it's much easier to get people. If we we touch this stuff every day, we are all dealing with it on a day to day basis. Everything in those rooms, I can see you guys in your rooms. Everything around you is going to be trash one day, right? Like so, we are all living this stuff every day. If we can't solve that problem, how are you going to deal with invisible emissions going out of some factory in Indi- in Indonesia or China or something? So to, to me, it's like an opportunity rather than a problem.
2: Billy's a hoarder. Is he doing it correctly? He will throw anything away.
1: I mean, oh yeah, if I just collect a bunch of stuff but never throw it away, am I doing a good thing for the environment?
3: <laughs> well, it's not as long as it's not decomposing. I would say yeah, maybe. I mean, the the the, the, the real talk answer to that is like the majority of the waste that is produced are in our like in in our economy is produced up. Uh, like upwind from us up, up the chain from us Yeah, 97%. I, there's, this, there's this estimate and it's a bit outdated and it's not precise, um, but you can use like the Canadian figures, which is like 97% of all waste produced by weight is industrial waste, which is another thing where like people say, well, it's all, all very well saying, you know, buy less stuff. But I'm like, if you really want to make a difference, you could just, you know, buy one less thing to hoard and that will probably offset the majority of the other things, things that you're doing now. I use the I like to use the example when I talk to people about you know but I said buying less stuff that doesn't sound very exciting and I said well no buy better stuff like if you can because not everyone can but as like if if we all thought about stuff you take a classic car community right you see you, you see guys who are like really they got like a 60s Mustang and they take really good care of it and they're out there every Sunday waxing it and buffing it and you know maybe they've carefully repaired the engine or sometimes they're like you see these communities and they're like upgrading them to electric engines and stuff now and that guy who hasn't changed his car since the 1960s has probably got a lower carbon footprint than the guy driving the brand new prius because they've had like four cars in the intervening years and the embodied carbon in those four cars like offsets the less efficient engine of this 60s car that you're driving right so but What I'm trying to say is I'm not saying everyone should drive 1960s gas guzzlers. I'm saying like if we took a little bit of care and looked after stuff long term, not only do you get a better carbon, you know, you you get better carbon emissions, but you also get things that you love and that are beautiful and that you take pride in. And like there's there's value in that that I feel like sometimes we've lost in our like super fast consumer society. When's the last time you bought a T-shirt that you like really loved, you know, from the local store that cost you $5 or whatever, and was made in a Bangladeshi like, fast fashion factory. So um, if we can re kind of get back a little bit of that care for our things, I think that we, everyone's kind of better off in a lot of ways and spiritually among them.
2: You seem – well, maybe angry is the wrong word. You seem frustrated because there seems to be some easy sta- uh, steps we all can take, uh, and yet we're not taking them. Is that is that accurate?
3: Yeah, I, I don't – I am angry in some ways. Like, I'm not going to be when, – when you see – some of the stuff that goes on in this world, like some of the greenwashing, you know, it really frustrates me when I see big companies like big these big international conglomerates in the West talking up their like latest recycling like initiatives or whatever. And at the same time, like with the other hand, they're like pumping billions of plastic sachets into economies like India and stuff in the global south and that they know aren't recyclable and like not doing anything about it. And that is like rampant. So so things like that do get me like fired up, and I think we should all care about it. So there's that side of things but I, I think the thing that one of the things that made me most kind of moved and agitated in in this story is you know I, there's there's a chapter in the book I went to Ghana um people don't know Ghana as a country in West Africa and um to write about thrift store donations now most people don't Know that when you donate stuff to a thrift store, only about between ten and thirty percent of that stuff is actually resold in store. The majority of it is sent to these kind of big uh, warehouses where it's like sorted and graded, and then it's exported to the to the global south, to you know, to, you know, to the developing world. And there's a huge, you know, so this the second hand is like a huge global economy. Not just clothes, electronics, cars, everything. You know, like a lots of things have these second lives in the global south that you never see. Now, in countries like Africa, and in, in like like Ghana in Africa and across West Africa, um, they have been flooded since, particularly since the 1980s, with more and more clothing donations. And a lot of what we donate now is fast fashion. By fast fashion, I mean the kind of stuff that you buy from H and M or a Zara. It's it's cheaply made, quickly made, and it's designed to be used a couple of times and then thrown away. And there is now so much stuff flooding these economies that they basically can't possibly use it all. So I met the guy who deals um, the guy in charge of the sanitation department of the of Accra which is the capital of Ghana and he told me that they have this one sanitary landfill for the entire city like a sanitary landfill is one that's kind of safe and and you know environmentally um, sound and it was paid for with this loan from the World Bank and it was designed to last about 30 years and they filled it up in about three and a half with all of this clothing waste and now inevitably when there's clothing waste a lot of the time there's like plastic fibers and other stuff going in. It burns very well, and you're dealing with a very hot country. The entire thing caught fire and burned to the ground. This guy, this this guy's like a burly guy in his 40s who's crying telling me this story. And he said, you know, he he said, so the people of Ghana, who are some of the poorest people in the world, are still going to be paying interest for the next 20 years on a landfill that we can't use because you sent us all of your garbage, because it's filled with your garbage. And he was like... Why are we paying for your waste? Like, you know, and and, and you, the answer is like I genuinely don't know, but I do know that when companies do pay into this, this, these things called extended producer responsibility schemes, so you know, companies pay a little bit of extra money, and it goes towards trash collection. Most of that money tends to stay in the global north, in the rich countries, right? And the, these you know these poor countries aren't seeing any of that stuff, but that's where it ends up. So to me, I think that any solutions we're talking about the the un and these international treaties and stuff any solutions to these problems need to need to make sure the money is going to the people who who need it and where this where this stuff is ending up because like you see these places and the reality is is horrifying
2: what's the uh what's the place you've seen or the thing you've seen as you were putting this together that was the toughest
3: thing for you to see was it that was it something else no i mean anytime you deal with with wastes um you're dealing with some of the world's poorest people uh you know i went to india um india is now the world's most populous country as of earlier this year it has a huge waste problem you know the explosion of people it has gone from being very poor uh to now kind of having this big disparity between the, the richest there and the poorest who are still extraordinarily poor and i went to this landfill called gaza which is on the outskirts of new delhi and this thing is is I describe it as the mountain in the book, but it—I genuinely mean that it's—it's it's like 200 feet tall. You can—it's, but like the size of several thousand football fields. You can see it from miles away. Like it—it it looks, it genuinely looks like a small mountain that you can see, like looming across the edge of the city, and there are hundreds if not thousands of people living in on a essentially on a town on this landfill and their job is to you know they make their livelihoods by picking out recyclables from this waste and selling them onto the recycling market onto recycling dealers uh, and waste pickers like this are, are pretty common for much of the world across the global south south america central america southeast asia and uh you know the, to, to to tell you these people are, are poor is is kind of grossly oversimplifying things um, you know, we're talking people living eight eight people to a room, that kind of thing. Um, and I met this mother and the kids were playing with the stuff that had been thrown away. Like they were taking toys out of the trash. They were blowing like, take the, what these little kids were t- taking out bubble mixture from the trash and like finding the little stuff left over in the jar and blowing it. And I was talking to their parents and the mum said, you know, these my daughters, take them with you. You know, and so when someone's mm. offers you their kids, you know, because they know that they have very little hope, um of of bettering themselves and their and their life. it's very difficult as a journalist, as, as a person, as a human being to to know what to say in those moments. So um so moments like that, when I was in when I was in Accra, I was in a, a an informal settlement, um, don't call them slums anymore, but that's essentially what it is, um, called old old Fatima, which is on this lagoon in the edge of the city. It's where some of the again some of the poorest people in, in a, um in Accra live. And this guy, so so something that interesting happened there in the last few years, which was there was this big slum called Agboglossi, which was a, a processing hub for electronics waste. A lot of electronics were going there, and people were essentially like burning the wires apart and basically stripping them, stripping them for the metals because metals are very valuable wherever you go in the world um but it became this kind of like viral youtube sensation A bunch of like youtube's turned up youtubers turned up with their camera and kind of shot these kind of horrifying footage of like teenagers burning like toxic fumes and uh so what the government did was it basically rolled in during the pandemic and bulldozed bulldozed the whole place to the ground because it partly because it was like giving them a bad reputation and when i came in like the locals were absolutely furious and they were like what the hell are you doing here he's just gonna betray you like don't talk to him and I had to be like, you know what? They're they're right. Like, I'm what I'm doing is not going to directly help you. Like, my hope is that I can affect policy change and things like that. But as a journalist, you come into these places. I'm not an NGO. I'm not Greenpeace. I don't have a big checkbook. I'm not the Bill Gates Foundation. Um, and that's that's difficult. It's a difficult thing to do and to and to face. And I hope I can be upfront. I was upfront with them about it, and I hope I can be upfront with the reader about what they're seeing and and who really has the power to make change. Because I'm hoping that. the people who read this book feel moved enough to to make a difference for those people, because, you know, I'm just I'm just a guy with a pen and a notepad a lot of the time.
2: Oliver Franklin Wallace. uh, The book is Wasteland. It's available now wherever you buy your books. Uh, Top three things you want the audience to know, our audience to know uh, about this. Top three most. I know it's like it's tough. uh, But if you had three things you could
3: tell the audience right now, what would you tell them? um that's a very good question you are put me on the spot here so no, I'm right, say, time. I'll, I'll, I'll give you three kind of quick 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 and easy solutions um, uh because these guys know me and i'm not
2: usually this is not a subject i would normally like agree to do an interview on but this is <laughs> like it's fascinating to me and it's jarring and so i want the audience to know like what they could do
3: to to you know, help stop it. What well, they should know, you know. For Sure, for sure, and I, I think it's a really, it's a really good question. The first thing is, would be um, buy less and buy better. We're kind of, we talked a little bit about that already. The second thing would be um, like learn to repair stuff. Like, 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 find something in your life that you don't have to like start darning your socks. But you know, if you've got a games console, I've recently, I've got, you know, I got a Nintendo. I swapped out the controllers recently, repaired those. Something a lot of your listeners will probably relate to. Little things like that. Um, are skills that you can learn and make things last longer and actually have like an outsized impact. And the last thing, w- which is m- maybe slightly um, less obvious, and this is more of a kind of global call, but like demand that companies and and the people and the the waste industry tell the truth. One of the k- kind of most profound things and shocking things for me in this whole journey was I found out that essentially countries like the UK and the US they publish these. This data about like how much stuff is being recycled, and um, you know, we talked a lot about recycling. The book's not just about that. There's a, there's a whole chapter on nuclear waste and the sewage and all kinds of wild stuff in there, and big incinerators and things. But we have this recycling, the national recycling rate, and the thing that I, I basically found out is that this whole, the entire way that we measure recycling is based on this fundamental lie. And the reason it's based on a fundamental lie is this: is that they count something as recycled. Basically, when it goes through the front door of the factory, you you picture the garbage, the truck. It pulls in the front door of the factory, and someone ticks a box and says, "Yep, that was recycled." They don't measure it, so it's an input measure. They don't measure what's actually being recycled there and coming out the other side. And so, I went to this huge, gleaming new fact, like plastics recycling facility in the UK that does plastic bottles. You know, soda soda bottles. They're like one of the most common forms of waste we throw away, and they were like. I was like okay what's your what's your yield like how much are you actually recycling and they were like it's about 50%. So the actual recycling rate is half what we are all we are all like sitting around here claiming it is. Now what's wild to me is that there are like internationally bind like legally binding international treaties that are based on these these recycling figures like the EU every every comp- country is like pledged to re- reach to 50% recycling rate by I think it's 2030. And like we can't even tell the truth about that. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the the if your first thing they they you you ship a container full of waste to a port and it gets loaded onto a ship to China and like literally the moment it, like the ship take sets off into the distance, it's tick, it's been recycled and no one's ever checking like what's happening at the other side. And then you see this footage of these fields of waste in like China and Turkey and stuff that's just being burned in open fields. And you're like, this is wild. So the the, the biggest like most obvious, it probably feels like a basic answer, but the biggest thing is like we just need to tell the truth and like get a sense of what's actually happening to this stuff. Because a lot of the time, it's just it's just lies. Like it's like all the way down, the tr- the, tr- the truth isn't there. Something as basic as well, let's find out how much of this stuff is actually being recycled. What actually is happening to the stuff we throw away?
2: Uh, you're angry, and you should be. Uh, because <laughs> now you're making me angry.
3: Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. I hope I hope people read this. Like, yeah, for everyone I talk to, when I tell this stuff they they get pretty mad too. Um, I should say is like, it's not all depressing. It's fun. And, you know, I went, uh, I went, uh, dumpster diving, you know, you go, you, you go dumpster diving with, with free and all this kind of stuff. And, and there's, there's like, there's, there's fun parts of the journey that, that have been you know, the people that I've met along the way who've become friends and things. So it has been fun to me, but yeah, when you, when you, are, when you put me on the spot, dive. like, <laughs> <laughs> dive. yeah, what,
1: any... Billy's I saw him break up there on a dumpster dive. <laughs> any good yeah. finds? What do we see there?
3: I mean, it was, the, the stuff that I was doing, the, the like dumpster divers are, are are kind of weird because I don't what weird because they're dumpster divers, but but like often they have like this like preternatural sense. Like i will be walking down the, the the road with this guy, John, who who I went dumpster diving with. Who's who's this? Um, he 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 has the record for the person in the UK with the lowest carbon footprint because they did this wild like weird competition. But uh, he's a he's a he's a freegan, which means he doesn't buy any food. He only eats what other stuff people throw away. So his entire livelihood is fishing stuff out of bins. Um, but he would like would be like walking down the road and he'd be like, "Oh, I think there's like I, I think there's something good over there." And you're like, you would go and look inside, and there'd be like all these like valuable metals and stuff that he could like sell to the trash dealer, and that's how he makes his money. Um, but yeah, like the amount of like again food and stuff that people throw away. If you go down the back of of a like a of a supermarket of a Whole Foods and stuff, and you open up the dumpsters at like end of end of time, like the, at the end of at the end of the, the day, some of the stuff that you get is wild like you could feed a whole family about these these things and it's good stuff you know it's like it's just it just happens to have expired that day but it's not moldy like it's just stuff that okay the display date's gone i'm gonna chuck it away um there's a wild thing that people don't really know about returns um, in, in the uk this, this made better news a couple of years ago but a lot of companies when you send particularly if you're buying cheap stuff online and you send it back the cost of them processing the returns is less valuable than the stuff itself. So they just chuck it. They just, they just like, they, they send it to landfill or if it's electronics, they'd send them to these facilities and they basically put them in giant shredders. So I went to this um, facility out in Fresno, one of the biggest electronics recycling facilities in the, in the US. And there were stacks at my head height of brand new unsold TVs still in the wrappers. And they were just putting them in this gigantic blender essentially Jeez. it's like the greatest noise and it like the stink and stuff oh, but you know brand new stuff because they basically like well it's new you know it's it's the time when it's new season the new stock is coming in we don't want cheap stuff on the market like secondhand they just blend the stuff like genuinely and and the scale of it is bl- will blow your mind it just it genuinely this just the size of it makes you feel tiny and insignificant
0: I'll tell you what I'm doing my part I don't throw away any food.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well my kids i've got two kids and they're that going through the picky eating phase so i'm like not perfect in that in that way and mm. i i don't want like i don't want everyone to start thinking you have to be these kind of zero waste influencers where like you're only throwing away like one kilner jar of of trash every year or whatever because i just don't think what that's should
2: really i do it. with this bottle of water when i'm done with it right here oh right? he probably Take the label off in... crush it
1: put the lid back
3: on do you touch, really chuck in your recycling do you hate okay. that he's using a plastic bottle I'm sorry. No, like hugely. Like I, I, again, like I, I still do from time to time. I try not to, he's got his keep cup. Yeah. Good man. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but what do you do with I, the bottle? You com. I mean, you got it from a bottle, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> I like, like I I've definitely got a lot better, but I wouldn't say that I'm perfect and I, I'm not trying to be perfect. Right. Like I swapped my toothbrushes for wood ones instead of plastic ones. And I got rid of a bunch of shampoo bottles and things. And now I like little things, but, um, you know, by putting off upgrading my car for like a couple of extra years, I probably saved more than I would have by like giving up plastic from, for an entire year. So, you know, like you've got to weigh up the value and everyone's got to, if we expect everyone to live perfect lives, they just give up because it's too hard. Like the, the, the cards are stacked against you. So make the thing I say to people is like, try and do your, your best if it's something you want to do there's loads of solutions out there and it's very easy to learn like youtube and reddit and the things are full of these threads and and there's all these instagram accounts who can tell you how to live less wasteful lives but you've got to make we've got to fix the system like if we fix the underlying system then if that plastic bottle is recycled eight times then i'm i'm not you know we, we can feel good about it you know i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying that we need to be perfect is
1: moderation a good solution? So, like, instead of like, how many pairs of sneakers should I own, for example?
3: <laughs> well, that's that's really up to you. I'm 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 someone who used to used to buy a lot of sneakers, and now I I kind of every time I, I feel te- tempted, I manage to kind of fight the urge a little bit more. But you know, we all need we we all need to wear clothing, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy things that that look nice. The thing that I've you know, you talk about sneakers, for example the thing that i think about now is how long are they going to last me you know like am i going to buy something that's like made a, a piece of crap and is going to f- fall apart after 20 wears am i going to buy a pair of Converse's and like the the soles split after 2 months and then you're throwing them away i used to wear wear those shoes and you go through like two pairs a year um so i think about that now the fo- the the, fo- the footwear industry for example is like suddenly really big converted you know like it's impossible to buy a pair of sneakers now that aren't recycled in some way so we have seen a lot of progress in in feels like that you know my, my i should say to the readers my day job is i'm at my i'm an editor at gq so i i like i know a little bit about like, a little more than about fashion so i understand the uh i understand the urge for sure well how many books is too many books uh, you can never have too many books. They get a special. I don't know. They get a special <laughs> exemption.
1: <laughs> How many waste- How many <laughs> wastelands is too many wastelands?
3: I, 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 I. Like, when people ask me to sign the book, I always say to them. Like, I always say to them, all, well, make sure you pass it on to someone else afterwards." But you know, like paper is very recyclable, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the books, the paper stock is recycled, for example. So, uh, so yeah, I've I, again books th- th- this book bu- this book will uh will 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 hopefully encourage other benefits and so in the aggregate it's good for you that's what that's my say. You want to call it. him a bleep hole, don't you? Your mean, publisher I hates really that. You, your I publisher you're, <laughs> buy the audiobook. There you go. We'll there you are. go. <laughs> I
2: like that. it's not really like reading, but it's okay. It's listening. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: Your publisher has to hate that. Whenever you sell a book, you're like, why don't you give it to someone else? You're like, no, no, Oliver, yeah. we're selling these. <laughs> right. Buy five <laughs> copies each. <laughs>
2: It's
3: okay. Oliver. It's good. I don't tell people until it's given the money. So it's fine.
2: <laughs> Oliver, you're doing the good work. You exposed it. You're telling the truth. You're trying, out, you're trying to help out. You're pitching in. You're doing your part. So well, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate five it. I'm like okay? everybody five yeah. books a person. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We appreciate we appreciate the uh, the research. We appreciate you educating us and the audience. And uh, keep up the good work, my friend. This was uh, it was a fascinating story. It's out of it's kind of out of my comfort zone. And so when I brought it to these guys and said I wanted to do it, they're like, "What?" But I think we were all fascinated by this. So thank you for uh, for the research that you did here.
3: Well, I appreciate you sticking with me and giving me a chance. And it's uh, yeah, it's been nice to talk to you guys. It's, I really appreciate it. Right. We appreciate it, man. Uh, Mikey said, by the
2: way, he feels like there should be a number after your last name. Like you should be a third, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: or Franklin, Franklin Wallace, yeah, yeah, or Junior. I feel like if I was an NBA player, I'd have Junior or something off <laughs> my name.
0: You can't for see this, but Oliver I'm six eight for- and I, I was Wallace a big, uh, big basketball player. So
2: there you go. <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most.